Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are looking at and studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount, these are the words of Jesus. And uh, Jesus is introducing the people who are hearing this, this message that he is preaching. He's introducing them to a new way of thinking, to a new understanding. All that they had was what they had learned from the, from the rabbis, from the Pharisees. They, they knew of the law and they knew of the letter of the law, but they didn't understand some of the, the more personal aspects of application of the law. And Jesus was giving them uh, the application of grace, the application of mercy, the higher level of living for him. And it is a much higher level to live for the Lord uh, than it is to follow uh, a law or a set of rules. I've titled the study today, New Temperament, and uh, <clears throat> begin with that, that the, the fact that the Bible teaches that with salvation comes a new kind of life. You've seen this and heard me use it before, 2 Corinthians 5. 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One of the things to overcome in becoming a Christian is the idea of walking into a new kind of life, a new life altogether. We become very settled in the lives that we live. It's very easy to make our nest where we are and to say, don't disturb our nest, don't stir me up, don't don't push me out. And uh, the prospect of change has a way of bothering us. And uh, we live our lives and we say, I've got it like I want it. Um, And so so I don't like the prospect of change and don't anybody bring change uh, to me. Uh, Someone has said, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. The reason is that to do things today exactly the way you did them yesterday saves thinking. And uh, we don't want to think very much. We don't want to pray very much. We don't want to seek the will of God very much. We want to do what we've always done. And of course, we know that if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always had. And if you want more than you have today, and if you want God to bless in a greater way in your life, then there will need to be some kind of a change. Most people prefer the certainty of misery over the misery of uncertainty. But when you follow Christ, there is an uncertainty. There are great certainties, but there are some uncertainties as we walk by faith and not by sight. And as Jesus spoke the powerful message of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were hearing a new kind of thinking. They were hearing a new kind of life. This was something that they had not heard before. Now, there are a lot of people who have been exposed to the message of the Sermon on the Mount. And you've been exposed to a lot of Bible preaching. But a lot of times we get exposed without hearing it. And, and there are times that we go away and we say after the, the message, we say, you know, I, I never saw that before. or I never heard that before. It isn't because it wasn't there before, but it's because maybe our heart didn't tune into it the way that we did on, on this given day. Jesus even got down into their very temperament, and he tells them that some of the things that they once thought were no longer applicable to their lives or to the life to come, that Jesus has come, 
and he's going to shake up their whole way of thinking. He's going to shake up their whole lives. When Jesus comes into our lives, our way of thinking changes, or at least our way of thinking should change. Let's read our text and then go to the message. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you may not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Uh, Come to terms quickly with your accusers while you're going with them to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now in verse 21 through 48, uh, and and we'll pick up with the rest of, of that part of the passage next Sunday, but in verse 21 through 48 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes six important Old Testament laws And he interprets them for people in light of what it is like to live for him or to live through him. He says, now I'm giving you six things that you already know about. Six things that you think you have settled in your mind. Six things that you think you've established in your heart. But I'm going to show you a whole new way to look at these things now that I'm come. I'm going to show you a whole new way to think about and deal with these things. He dealt with attitudes and intentions of the heart not just simply the external actions of the people. And the Pharisees said that righteousness consisted of of performing certain actions, but Jesus said that it centered in attitudes of the heart. First of all, he shows to them a new standard. He said, I want to give you a new standard of living. This is a new way to live. This is a new way to understand. The thing about a message like this is very interesting, is that it really doesn't apply to any of us. The wonderful thing about coming in and hearing a message like this in a setting like this is that we get to talk today about other people, people we would never be because uh, none of us are murderers. There's no one here, I don't think, who has murdered anyone uh, and we're going to be talking about that. Uh, this, this message is one that really uh, Arthur, this ought to be preached at prison, really. This, this message ought to be preached at prison, not at North Florida Baptist Church. However, Jesus made an interesting corollary between actions and attitudes, and he ties them together, and he makes me wonder if indeed we might should consider uh, what Jesus had to say, if indeed this might have been preached to us. For instance, he ties a corollary between assault and anger. There is a tie between those two. Jan and I like to watch the first 48. It's a show about human misery, and uh, human misery is entertaining. And uh, we watch the first 48. It's about investigating murder and how that the chances of solving a homicide drops drastically beyond the first 48 hours of the homicide is reported. And uh, usually they are filmed in Memphis, Houston, 
Birmingham or Miami. And uh, I did a search to find out the most dangerous places to live in the United States. And I thought, well, all of the first 48 uh, will show up on those dangerous places to live. And sure enough, uh, Birmingham and Memphis was on the the list. Uh, But so was Atlanta and so was uh, Baltimore. Here's an interesting thing. Miami was not in the top 10 of, of the bad and scary places to live. And most of us have a Miami frame of reference. We think, that's, that's rough living down there, but it wasn't in the top 10. <clears throat> the number one city for violent crimes in America, this is interesting, the number one city for violent crimes in America is Flint, Michigan, with a 23.4 violent crimes per thousand residents in a given year. Detroit was number two. Now, I said that to say this, that nobody wants to be in a high crime area. I mean, even if we're in a high crime area, we don't want to be in that high crime area. We wish we could be somewhere else. But according to Jesus, we may be contributing to a crime rate that we haven't even considered. We may be contributing to a crime rate that we don't even think about. We may be living in a high crime area in our own homes, not because of our actions, but because of the corollary of our attitudes to our actions. Again, in our text, Jesus said in verse 21, you have heard that it was said of the, uh, 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 to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, some people who have never murdered anyone still have anger issues. Some people who probably would never take a knife or a gun and take someone's life still deal with issues of anger uh, in their lives. And while the state of anger doesn't always result in the act of murder, it is a problem in the need of a solution for anyone uh, who is given to it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said once, for every minute that you stay angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace of mind. Anger is an injurious, if not a murderous spirit. Was it not just this week uh, at Walmart here locally in the parking lot, there was an argument over a parking space and weren't two people shot right here in Tallahassee, Florida? at a Walmart parking lot in Tallahassee, Florida. I don't know that that was a premeditated situation. I think that was an anger situation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to lay aside anger. Now, granted, that's a hard thing to do, but you have to do it. It is a murderous temperament. Some people go to anger management classes. I shared this with you, I think, on a Wednesday night. I want to share it again this morning. I read of a a man named Justin Bodine, he was 27 years old, from Minnesota, who pled guilty to fifth-degree assault charges for violently losing his temper. According to the criminal complaint, Bodine was waiting at a bus stop when he started to harass a 59-year-old woman for some reason. Witnesses say he yelled at her over what he felt was a general lack of respect. And when she took out her cell phone to call the police, Bodine punched that that 59-year-old woman in the face. When a 63-year-old man tried to stop him, Bodine hit him with a blue folder that held some 
papers in it. The papers was his homework from anger management class. <clears throat> the police tracked down the man from the papers that were inside the folder that he hit the 63-year-old man with. Now that is a serious, serious thing. Everyone, and especially born-again believers, should hold themselves to a standard well above a state of anger. Now, anger can fly on us, but we have to find a way to get over it. Can't anger fly on you once in a while? There has to be a way to overcome that evil with good. Anger knows no age group. Anger has no financial requirement. Anger crosses every social strata. Those who may not assault us may very well live in anger. And, and on some level, Jesus says that this has an equal footing with a kind of murder. Here's the standard that we should live by. It's the Ephesians 4.31 standard. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, this isn't just <clears throat> communion words and, you know, sip coffee and talk about it words. This is what Jesus says to us. He said, look, if you have this anger thing, you have a murderous spirit. There's a, another standard that he raised, not only equating assault and anger, but he equated insult and and injury. In Matthew 5:22, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now this is a very interesting distinction. In the King James version, the word translated insult in the English Standard Version is the actual Greek word reka, R A K A which was a term of derision. It meant that you felt superior to the person that you were addressing. It, it was, a, it was a, an insulting way to speak to somebody. You talk down to someone by using that. You, you spoke down. It, it would be like saying, well, you're just stupid. Aren't you stupid? We've got kids in here today, forgive the word, but that's an insulting word. <clears throat> Aren't you just a moron? You just make me sick. That's the kind of insult that it was. Now, none of us are guilty of that. None of us say those kinds of things. Wait a minute, I misspoke. All of us are guilty of that. All of us say those kinds of things, and they're just wrong. It's, it's wrong to talk down to people. It's wrong to be angry. However, if you call someone, uh, if you insulted them, that's one thing. But then it goes on and it says, and you can, be, you can be taken to the judge, to the counsel over that. Aren't you glad you can't be taken to a court of law over calling somebody a moron? But then he stepped it up and he said, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. If you call someone a fool in those times, it was different altogether because the word fool was a term of hatred. 
it carried with it a sense of wishing injury and serious ill on another person. Now remember, Jesus is dealing with the spirit of the law, not with the letter of the law. He said, I want you to know that that when you commit murder, that's one thing, but also when you have an anger in your heart toward another person, that is in violation of the spirit of that. Both of these things that we've just spoken of dealt with the attitude of the heart, but clearly one was worse than the other. One meant, <clears throat> one meant to injure and the, or to insult, and the other meant to injure. What we say to others and how we say it really matters. Now I want you to put on your thinking caps because I'm going to give you a little instruction that you may not be expecting. Let's just get real for a minute. There have always been plenty of racial slurs between black people and, and white people. The truth is that most white people have not lived with the racial slurs the way the black people have lived with racial slurs. That's just the truth. We have uh, both white and black in our congregation today. White people haven't lived with it like that. For for instance, and I'll, I'll use the term, I don't know that I've ever been called, say, a honky or a cracker. And I'm not sure I know what that means anyway. So it doesn't it doesn't carry the emotion. You understand what I'm saying? I've never, I've never had that to happen to me. So it doesn't carry the emotion necessarily that, that it might had I lived with it on a regular basis. However, pretty much all black people have had to, at some point in their lives, live with the N-word. Just about all have had to live with the N-word. Not giving anyone a pass on this, but unless you're really advanced in years, you you didn't grow up using that word every day. There are very few people sitting in this room today who grew up using that word on a regular basis. And if we use it now, it is a deliberate action that carries an emotion with it. In other words, we mean something by it. If we use it now, there is an emotion attached to it, not just a word, not just a reference. There is an emotion attached to it. Now, the same application can be made for a lot of people. If we lived in Texas near the border, I'm sure there's a different application down there. If we live in certain other places, I'm sure there's a different application trying to give to you the meaning that Jesus was delivering here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I want to tell you that when you say insulting things, that's one thing. But when you say injurious things, that's a whole different level. That same application can be made for a lot of people in people groups. It can be made for sinners of many stripes. There's all kinds of sin that's abhorrent to us. But in the course of facing an abhorrent sin, sometimes we use words to address that abhorrent sin, not to just reflect that we know what it is, but to reflect a a serious emotion tied to it. Jesus is addressing that very thing here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
The specifics of verse 22 speak to a larger principle that all of us should consider. What we Uh, What do we mean when we refer to this person or that one in terms that are less than respectful? What do we mean by that? According to the Sermon on the Mount, that goes to temperament. And believers should have a higher standard of temperament. We should have a different attitude altogether. All of us who call ourselves Christian should have a new standard about our lives All of us should. It should be reflected in our ability to control our emotion and our anger. It should be reflected in our ability to temper our speech uh, to one another or about one another or about people that we don't even know. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to preach about things that none of us do? Isn't that a lot easier? than to preach right at the things where we live. But you know what? Jesus didn't pull any punches. When he was standing there preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke right to the issue that they were dealing with. And unlike me, he could discern their hearts as they were hearing it. He said, you think you're not murderers, but you have this in your heart. And you think that you're only insulting, but I will tell you that that if you say this or even this, it's even worse. We should all hold ourselves to a new standard, and that new standard should be driven by a new conscience. We ought to just have a different conscience if we're born-again believers. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now here are two very interesting verses that give what I consider to be an insightful progression into the new kind of conscience that we ought to have. First of all, there's the idea of doing good. And and Jesus addresses it by giving. He said, giving is good. If you're offering your gift to the altar, that is a good thing. In fact, if you're not giving to God, if you're not offering the gifts at the altar or through tithes and offerings, well, that's an ungrateful heart. Jesus didn't say, all right, it's not good to give. He said, look, I'm going to talk to you about giving now. We, we give as it is modeled, but we should also give with, as an expression of love and with the right heart attitude. I don't think when, when I give here in a few minutes that I should give out of fear I don't think that I should give in in fear of of a judgmental God taking away his hand of blessing from me. I don't think I should live in that kind of fear today. I think that I should give and and know that giving is good. And I ought to be cheerful about giving. That's what 2 Corinthians says in chapter 9 and verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Clearly, giving is a good thing. Every believer ought to be a giver. 
Every believer should. There should not be one person who knows the name of Christ who should not be giving to Christ, giving to the work of God. It is a good thing. Every giver should be a giver and should be a cheerful giver. That being said, there is another thing that should be considered in our giving. That is not just in doing good, but in doing right. The text says that giving while there is an issue between you and another believer, is something that must be addressed. So it's possible to do good without doing right. It's possible to do a good thing, but not do the right thing. I have never seen this done, but it would be like getting up at offering time today and you having your your offering envelope ready. I have my offering envelope ready today. You have your offering envelope ready, and, and the, uh, we, we play announcements, and, uh, and uh, Bobby is going to uh, do the announcements today, and they're going to be really <clears throat> interesting. And, and you're going you're to get up from your seat with your offering in hand, and you're going to walk across the church, and you're going to find someone on the other side of church with whom you have a problem and say, look, I, it's time to give. And I'm going to make this offer. I'm going to do a good thing and, and give to the Lord, but I want to do the right thing and make sure that, that you and I are right. I don't, I don't want to give to the Lord knowing that I'm not right with you. I just don't want to do that. I, I want to make things right so I can go back to my seat and put my tithing envelope in the plate so it'll be right today. Now, wouldn't that be something? Would that not be amazing if people just got up all over the house and went to each other? If husbands went to wives and children go to parents and, and <clears throat> business associates uh, go to each other? Wouldn't that be a good thing? The, the point is that in the course of doing good, we must make sure that we've done right. There are a lot of people who are doing good, but they've not done right. If you have wronged someone or if you have a feud of some sort going on with another person, you can still do good, but you're not doing right. When we do right, we must do, when we do good, we, sh we should do good with a spirit of doing right so that in the end we find ourselves simply doing better. The text says that once the issue is settled, then when you are doing good, you're doing much better. We can't allow negative feelings to own us, and they can. Oh, they can own us. We, we, we must be owned by the Lord. Am I the only one, or do you have things jump on you and really mess up your day? They just jump on you. And, and you, oh, and they stay there. I, you know what? I, I about decide I'm going to stay out of Walmart. Because they got things that jump on you in Walmart. They just jump on you. I had something jump on me at Walmart the other day. I was, oh, man. The rest of my time in Walmart, you know, I, I mean, people get shot in Walmart parking lot. People think, jump on you inside of Walmart. 
I don't think it's that way at Target. <clears throat> they just jump on you. Look, we are owned by the Lord, <clears throat> and we must give all diligence to be His and not our own, and, and not be a slave to our grudges. <clears throat> we can't be enslaved to our grudges. We just can't be. <clears throat> I had a guy at the golf course yesterday. I was, I was putting on the uh, practice green, <clears throat> and a guy yelled from the uh, tee box. The, to him, it would have been the the number 10 tee box. It was uh, the number one tee box on the east over at Killarney. And, and uh, he yelled out at me and uh, he said, hey, preacher, pray for me. He said, uh, this guy is, uh, is really whipped, whipped on me during the first nine, something like that. And, and I got to get even on this nine. And I yelled over him and I said, I don't bless grudges. He said, I'm just kidding. This guy was a fraternity brother. (laughs) Yes, here you were. Look, to have a new temperament, we must set new standards for our hearts and our lives. Those new standards are driven by a new conscience, which leads then to new wisdom. Matthew chapter 5 and now verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now you know what this goes back to? It all goes back to the anger that Jesus, in fact all of this is related to anger that Jesus has already mentioned. Anger can lead to so many things up to and including murder and war and on and on it goes when we settle our issues quickly we avoid so much of the the bad in life so many of the bad things in life can be avoided when we just settle our anger issues and have wisdom to settle them early did any of you watch on the history channel the series the mini series the hatfield and the mccoys did any of y'all watch the the Hatfield and the McCoys, I sure did. We DVR'd it. I didn't want to miss the Hatfield and McCoys. It's about a feud between West Virginia and Kentucky families. It's very legendary. It's very real. It led to murders and, and turf wars, slaughter, and so many other bad things. And if the miniseries was accurate, the whole thing started over the accusation that Floyd Hatfield stole a hog from Randolph McCoy. It didn't take long for the argument to blow into a full-scale war between those two families. And Jesus addressed the very issue in the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed the very thing. There aren't too many places where we go to blows or start shootings over wrongs. But the society today still lives in anger. You know how we do it today? We sue you. This is the most litigious day in which anyone has ever lived. That's how we do it today. That's how we settle our angers. That's how we get even. 
today. Jesus offers wisdom to any who will find themselves at odds with others. And the advice is to do just the opposite of what we want to do. What we want to do is to sue. What we want to do is to fight. What we want to do is to resist. What we want to do is to hold back. And we are to get it settled. We are to stop the bleeding. We are to make the restitution that is needed. It's always better to do right sooner than later. Because the trouble that comes later because we didn't do right sooner is always greater than it would have been otherwise. Always. I wrote a letter the other day. I, <clears throat> I have a friend who lives in another state many states away from here. And he has done something very, very wrong. He has embezzled embezzled about $100,000. And uh, he uh, will soon be sentenced probably to prison time and probably restitution, of course. The issue that he's facing was a result of a long struggle. He knew it was wrong the first time that he did it, but he was able to get by with it, so he went back and he did it again and again until finally he just couldn't stand it any longer and he confessed what he had done. And he is about to be sentenced and it could be for a very long time. I, I wrote a letter <clears throat> the other day asking the judge if he would consider lighter sentencing so that he could begin the work of restitution. I asked him if he would consider lighter sentencing in light of the good that this man has done, and this man has done a lot of good I know there's this tendency to write somebody off because they did a bad thing or did a few bad things. But there are a lot of good people who've done some bad things. A lot of good people. I told Arthur Becton more than once that some of the finest Christians that I know are in the Federal Corrections Institute over there on, <clears throat> on Capitol Circle. Look, this friend of mine, if he had just stopped when he first realized what he had done, if he had just stopped right there and said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I'm just not going to do this. If he had done that then, then a lot of what has taken place and is about to take place would have never happened. The point that Jesus was making is that we are to keep things in check before they go too far. Things can go too far. If you gain five pounds and don't deal with it, and you keep on eating, and before long it's 10, and, and then it's 15, and you say, well, the holidays are coming up. I'll just kind of go through the holidays and in January that five turned into 25 you say that's just more than I planned on ever gaining I think I'll just wait on that and 
by the time Easter comes, it's 35. It's just too late now. <laughs> and, you know, I think I'm going to get me some bigger pants. By the way, 35-pound weight gain, you've already gone to bigger pants, even if you didn't. You've heard me put it like this. <clears throat> the way to avoid having big problems is to deal with little problems. I guess my question in closing is this. Do you have an issue about something or someone that you should resolve? Are you guilty of anger? Are you guilty of injurious language towards somebody? Is there something brewing that could be settled or calmed down significantly if you'd just make an adjustment to your temperament? Here's the way that we seem to be in America today. Well, if they'll just settle it down, then I'll settle it down. I tell you what, let's flip that. Why don't we settle it down and see if they'll settle it down? Why don't we just listen to what Jesus had to say? A sermon like this is just the thing needed to bring to light in our hearts and cause us to get settled down those things that are still unsettling. Jesus once said this, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Look, here's the thing. I want to live right, don't you? Do you know what else? I want to die right. I want to die right. And when I die, I want people, if they remember back to what might have been wrong between us, to be interrupted before they get there. To what was made right between us. I, I want to I die with the sense that I said the right things long after ending saying the wrong things. I, I want to live right, but I want to die with the spirit that well, here, it is. here lays a man who was about loving life and loving the people that God put around him. Not there lies an angry man. Well, I guess he's no longer mad. I guess he's finally sweetened up. That's exactly message that Jesus has for me and I believe for you in this Sermon on the Mount, this portion that speaks to a new temperament. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.